If you're a fan of zombie movies, you might want to grab some popcorn, kick back in a comfy chair, and keep your eyes trained on the Indiana State House. We've reached the part of the legislative session where proposals that have been left for dead can and occasionally do come back to life, courtesy of the Conference Committee. As you may recall from high school civics, a conference committee is convened whenever the House or Senate passes a bill in a form that's unacceptable to the chamber in which the bill originated. Indiana's legislative conference committees have four members, two from the House and two from the Senate, and it's up to those four individuals, and in some cases their appointed advisors, to find a compromise that can satisfy both chambers. What makes this part of the process so interesting and so unpredictable is that a conference committee agreement can incorporate virtually any idea that passed at least one chamber during the session, provided that it's related in some way, shape, or form to the main proposal under consideration. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll preview the 2015 session's climactic final scene with four people who, you could say, wrote, directed, and starred in this year's production, the leaders of the General Assembly's four legislative caucuses. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue startups speak modalities, helping children and families coping with nonverbal autism to develop communication skills, helping people changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. At this point, I'd love to have the word spoiler alert flash across the screen. Hey, if I had my druthers, we'd all come away from the next 25 minutes or so knowing precisely what will emerge from the 11th hour conference committee negotiations now underway. That, I'm afraid, isn't going to happen. Nobody, of course, can say with absolute certainty how the final days of the 2015 session will unfold. If anybody could come close, though, it would be the four people joining me for this week's roundtable discussion, the leaders of the General Assembly's four legislative caucuses, House Speaker Brian Bosma, an Indianapolis Republican, House Minority Leader Scott Pilath, a Michigan City Democrat, Senate President Pro Tem David Long, a Fort Wayne Republican, and Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannon, an Anderson Democrat. I thank you all. You know, you were here in mass for the very first show of this particular season, this session. You're back again for the final full week of the session. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to look forward at the coming days, but I'd be remiss if I didn't look back at a few things that kind of popped up in the past, <laughs> since your last visit, shall we say. The biggest being, of course, the highly controversial passage of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, this week, it still pops up from time to time, the sort of the, the aftermath. We saw an activist from the West Coast West Coast revealed that he had procured, I think, half a dozen or so domain names tied to GOP House Caucus uh, members, ostensibly to leverage them and to supporting uh, broader protections in the future. What do you make of all this? I mean, uh, that kind of tactic or this lingering uh, controversy, I guess we should say? You know, I don't know if the controversy lingers. Uh, it was the biggest firestorm I've seen in many, many years. and. Senator Long and I said we'd solve it, and we did. Uh, we did it under the gun. We did it right, and I think we put it behind us. Now, having said that, will there be fallout of it? Of course. Uh, did it put the discussion about, uh, about protected class 
uh, for the LGBT uh, community on the table. It sure did. Uh, it's, it's a topic that people are, have now spoken about, uh, with, which hasn't been really spoken about in the past. So we'll see how it all pans out in the long run. I don't think there's going to be there's going to be some big announcements about great conventions here in the immediate future. There's there's no long-term uh, impact here. Well, you mentioned the fix, of course, that you both uh, spearheaded along with local community, uh, civic, and corporate leaders a few weeks back. But many in the uh, LGBT community say this is uh, not a done deal until the civil rights protections uh, that are in Indiana statute are expanded to include sexual orientation. You both were asked that question a few weeks ago. Uh, Senator Long, you indicated that next session, when, there, uh, there, when there's ample time for this discussion, that you're committed to having uh, that discussion in the Senate. Is that still I the case? Say, I didn't say that, but I did say it's on the front burner, on and the, I think it's on our conscience like it never was before. And as ugly as this whole mess was, <clears throat> I think unfairly created, but nevertheless it was real, um, I, I said, you know, we're all, we're all thinking more about this issue in ways we hadn't before, and that may be a very healthy thing in the end. For all of us, but it's uh, uh, it's definitely going to be considered, and I, I don't think any of us could uh, could honestly say that it won't uh, be proposed. So front burner uh, for the Senate. <coughs> How about you, Brian Bosma? Front burner for you next session. Front, it's an election year. Of front course. burner for me is in the next uh, six calendar days to have one of the most successful general assemblies to hit what we said <laughs> at the start on our very first program here: uh, record education funding increase for traditional schools. Uh, domestic violence, uh, infant mortality, public safety, uh, ethics reform, some of the key issues that we've said that we were going to hit, that's what I'm concentrating on, and we'll worry about next session. No commitments, after. I'm guessing, about what, what you may or may I'm, not I'm not want. committing on where we're going after the session with my wife yet. So we've got one focus, <laughs> and then, then we'll get things figured out after that. Gentlemen, I'm guessing this is an issue you would just as soon see continue to remain in the, in the limelight. Uh, you see this perhaps as a political opportunity, and also I'm not suggesting there's not a sincere interest in the issue as well, but you want this to stay on the front burner. Well, let's, the, the let's, take, let's take the politics out of it for a second, because that takes care of itself. Uh, and clearly there's deeply held civil rights convictions um, that are at the heart of all these discussions. But to break it down more pragmatically, it's now an economic development issue. I mean, some of these things leave lasting impressions, and we can pivot to different issues, and I suspect that we will over time because different things arise. But the fact of the matter is, is good luck luring a high-tech firm here uh, when we have this hanging over our heads. Um, good luck drawing a, a major progressive employer here that pays very high wages. It is something that's going to have to be addressed um, not just on civil rights grounds, uh, but on economic development grounds. And that's going to be extraordinarily important because the, the issue here, and particularly for the governor, is these things do leave a bit of a lasting impression. When there's the impression that you're sort of mired in old-fashioned thinking, um, that you're not willing to change with the times, um, and that you're willing to put social issues ahead of the economic ones, we're going to have to deal with that at some point, and probably we're going to have to deal with it collectively and in a bipartisan manner. Of course, we had the Indiana Economic Development Commission announce a week or two back that $2 million would be expended for... Yeah. Uh, to hire a global PR firm to try to shore up the image. Is that going to be uh, a worthwhile endeavor, or, or can anything well, it's, uh, you accomplish know, that short of having if, the if, kind of legislative <coughs> activity if, that, that If we I'm the citizens of the state of Indiana, I ask the question, why do we have to spend $2 million of our, of our taxpayer dollars for this purpose when the whole thing could have been avoided? fact of the matter is this is going to be uh, judged as an historic session, 
not for the reasons that we thought, maybe perhaps when we were back here uh, the first show with you, John, but it's going to be known as the RIFRA session. And uh, in some ways, uh, as sad as that is, it's going to take money to repair our damage. And there's a lasting, uh, I'm afraid, image out there that Indiana is stuck somewhere in the last uh, century. Uh, it is good in that the idea of equality is front and center now, and we can't get away from that. And uh, we propose that we should have uh, studied this over the coming summer. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I haven't seen any action officially to do that. We had a second reading amendment last week to go into the budget to have a study committee on this issue. So either this issue is front burner or it's not. And the people of Indiana, it's not going to go away. They're going to expect there to be action. Certainly, uh, future generations of Hoosiers are looking at the uh, leadership in the state now and want to know, is equality really something that Indiana embraces or not? So it's going to be here next year. We're going to have to deal with it. We should deal with it. Forever known as the RIF recession. Oh, Answer boy. that. I've is got that, to. Is, all right. All right. First of all, we're, we're attracting those firms now. They're still coming, even with the RIF for a dust-up. Indiana has the strongest uh, employment and economic uh, environment in the Midwest, third or fourth in the nation, depending on who you talk to and what, uh, what statistic you look at, what table you look at. We've got great workforce, tremendous tax environment, uh, emphasis on economic uh, thriving, and a great place to raise families. So I, I totally disagree with this. This is the end of uh, the economy as we know it. I think just the opposite. And it, uh, we've got such a strong future. Unemployment taking another little tick down. It's, I, I understand the issue. I understand the opportunity. I actually, I would say one thing. I said this on the floor of the House, not Representative Pilak. But there were others who jumped on this, the political opportunity here, and they did as much damage as anyone else uh, to our state's reputation when we really didn't need to do that. So it, it does have lasting effects. The reason we stepped in, there are more than 100,000 families, individuals, that are employed in uh, tourism, uh, sporting, and convention. And uh, this national boycott, it wasn't from Indiana primarily, it was national, this national boycott effort it had a real and lasting impact on them. So we stepped in, we fixed it, we'll take the next step uh, later, have that policy discussion as to, as to well, what happens. And, on the and call, it, my, call it the education session because that's, that's exactly what we're what focus on and we ought to be talking about well, and that. That's, and that's what I, uh, let me just ask this, indulge me, uh, it's the most cliched, obvious question. If you had the mulligan, would you, would you have uh, allowed this, this bill to come forth in the manner it, it did and, I think it's, I, you know, really this is a historic thing that happened and no one could see this coming because it's the law across the country in all the federal courts. It's the law in 30 other states. It's just a judicial standard of analyzing whether someone's religious freedoms have been uh, impinged upon. But here's the thing. The timing of it, the, uh, the changing uh, social wars and, and, and outlooks on civil rights in this country that are occurring. It's, the optics of it has it definitely had an impact on this that no one saw coming. And anyone says they did is, is a genius but, because well, it never has happened in this country before. So, you know, you, it's hard for us to say I wouldn't have ever done it again. I don't think we did the wrong thing, but unfortunately there's a lot more to this discussion now than there was before, and that's what wasn't seen. Which maybe gets back to your point about this being the education session. I mean, everybody's maybe more attuned to the issue, maybe more sensitive but you to have how to be, it might you be. You have to have a sense of, of, of awareness about the fact that no one had ever had this happen to them before. But jo and John, right. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a genius, <clears throat> but I will say this. Even last year, when we had the discussion over where we're going to amend our Constitution, which was thankfully rejected, 
There were many of us who even said then, this is wrong. This is not what the future of Indiana is. People are rejecting this. And when this matter was debated on the floor of the Senate, we said this is going to make our state look backwards. And uh, quite frankly, we were ignored at that point in time. So you can't really say that there weren't uh, people out there saying this is the wrong thing to do and we shouldn't be doing it because there was clear warnings that that well, was the case. Same-sex marriage and rift are totally different. That's the, that's the long-term totally danger. It, again, it's the old-fashioned approach to problems. This is not the type of issue and it's the, not the type of method that's going to keep our best and brightest here in Indiana. You know, when we raise our kids and s spend money for them to go to IU and Purdue, are they going to stay here and use the skills that they've learned to prosper alongside of us and earn a fair wage? I think we're headed in the wrong direction. All right. Well, we've successfully made it the, All right. the RIFRA uh, yeah, and I said we were uh, going to touch on it. You guys, you guys kind of took the ball and ran. All right. So first, when, we were, when you were here last, you talked about the three E's, as I think I might have uh, used the phrase. Education, to your point, Senator Long. Uh, ethics and, and um, economic development. Right. Are you, do you feel that you have checked uh, those boxes off? Ultimately, or you and, will it's, by the and it's going to be bipartisan. Uh, Much of what I'm about to say has been worked on collectively among, uh, among leaders here and, and our teams. We're going to have a very strong education session. There will be an issue that I'm sure uh, we'll bring up about uh, uh, education governance, which, which we're not going to agree on perhaps. This is but the Glenda Ritz. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But we're, we're having the single largest increase in traditional public school funding in our state's history, $469 million increase on top of the 7.1 billion a year that goes there. Uh, the Senate and the House version uh, both have that uh, dollar amount. How we spend it, we're working on. Uh, we uh, have adopted collectively with the, with the authors right here, uh, sitting right here together, uh, one of the strongest ethics and uh, transparency measures uh, in at least institutional in memory. In fact, that was one of the first things that you all uh, absolutely. Uh, and we worked session. on this together. We spent hours together behind the scenes with our with our teams. So I think okay, working through some box, great we'll, we can, items. We'll put that uh, economic right. development. We're going to have some great uh, final results here to add to Indiana's stellar image. Uh, we're working on the governor's regional cities uh, initiative. I think that's going to have some positive benefits. Uh, many other items, investing, uh, key investments around the state in the Southwest Regional Health Facility, uh, so many other things. It's, gonna be, it's going to be strong. The question is whether we can uh, override the megaphone of those who just have four letters that they want to talk about uh, and, and, and get through, cut through to the meat. Well, <laughs> the school funding, uh, clearly uh, either the House or the Senate version is roughly the same in terms of dollar amounts, yeah. as pointed out here. The, the real question comes down to... Yeah how quickly the, the dollars follow the students. You know, the Senate, there's a phase right. in, I think, of roughly five years with some cushioning for some of the urban uh, school districts that aren't experiencing a growth or may actually be experiencing a student enrollment decline. Uh, the House version would, of course, accomplish that more quickly. Satisfactory? I mean, are you satisfied that there's what, a 2.3% increase in each year? Of the, can you live what, with that? What, well, a couple of things. Let's make it clear, there's not a great deal of disagreement about the overall number of dollars that are going to be expended on education, but the way they're being expended um, creates grave disagreement. Uh, first of all, um, you are going to see a number of school districts out Indiana, traditional public school systems, ancient and honorable ones, that are going to continue to see cuts. Right. The other one is, is that we don't know where the dollars are, are flowing because they're thrown into one big pot because we're funding three different school systems now. We've got our traditional public schools where most of the kids still are. 
We now have our voucher schools, and we have sort of our deregulated, deregulated charter schools. You want to system. have three pots of money. There so should be three right. pots of money so the public can judge what's being successful and what isn't. Why can't they have three pots of money? They don't what's need that at all. Which, which you know, I. I, I think accountability for all of our schools is very important. I would not disagree with Scott on that at all. But I don't think you need three pots of money. I think what you need to recognize is that Indiana has gone toward an educational system that values the child and the family's decisions more than they have in the past. Instead of just traditional public schools, we're giving people choices who don't have choices otherwise, who don't have the economic means to send a kid to private school that maybe the four of us or five of us here could. That's the key point. We want excellence in education for our kids, and I think that's the focus of why we have vouchers, we have charter schools. It gives choices. It gives, it gives some flexibility in the way we're approaching education in our state. Those are positive things, not negatives. I do agree that we need to make sure our urban schools are taken care of because they have challenges that other, the suburban schools don't. We also have to make sure that we don't squeeze our suburban schools out so that they can't provide that stellar education we're looking for our kids. We can have all of this, and we can have the best education system in the country, but, and that's what we're striving for. But that shows the major difference, though, I think, in philosophy here. Um, our, our belief is that our first duty is to support the public schools and do no harm to them. Unfortunately, <coughs> what's happening here is we're seeing winners and losers in this whole funding uh, formula situation. And so urban schools, such as the ones that I represent in Anderson and Muncie, are going to lose dollars, but their challenges are going to remain the same. My gosh, there in Muncie, they had to look at uh, possibly suspending their bus transportation. And so it, it's a real concern to us when we see those dollars that are flowing from the public school system into private schools. And I, don't, and, and I think there needs to be more accountability to that. I don't think the public's really aware of how much we've, uh, we've taken in terms of money from the public schools to put into private schools, and there needs to be an accountability to that. So I agree but, with but Scott on that. But it's less than 2% of the total, Tim. It's growing. It's, it's, it's a not, growing number. It's, it's, it's less it's, than 2% of the total of nearly $15 billion. It, it, it's exploded to the point that we have one of the largest voucher systems in the nation now. And apparently and, there's and and apparently with no idea, apparently no idea of trying to rein that in. At the same time, we're expecting our, our public schools to do more and more. And when they don't, then we punish them. So the question, is, the question is, who makes the decision? Do parents make decisions for their kids, or does government make the decision about the classroom that a child goes into? And it works great for some people, but for low-income folks that don't have other opportunities to, uh, to, for themselves, it makes great sense to give that limited group of people a small amount of money to, uh, to go to a school I know choice. we could continue down this path, but I do want to talk about one other uh, very pressing issue related to dollars and cents, although a different uh, vein in the argument, and that is shoring efforts to shore up the gaming industry, which has become yes. a large source of, of revenue for uh, the state's coffers. Uh, you gentlemen both have uh, a real uh, stake in this. You both have right. uh, casinos, either right. what's now a riverboat casino, right. what's now a racino in your respective right. districts. Uh, Conference committee has hung up on live dealers. Uh, is something? What, what do you think is coming out of this session? What do you think well, needs I fear, to happen I fear for that this industry to survive? I fear that because there's this threat that the governor won't sign a bill that includes uh, the table games at the casinos, uh, that we're not going to create those jobs. That's the one bill that really creates jobs. You're in talking the about 100, I've seen you 100, 100 yeah, jobs? I mean, it, is it, that? Yeah, at least that. And uh, I've been, I, the, what I hear is that the governor said under no circumstances will he sign that. For whatever reason, I, I can't understand, those electronic games are already there. They're willing to switch those out for the live table uh, games so we can just simply put people to work. 
But uh, so I think that's disappointing. In terms of economic development, that was the one true jobs bill we have, and apparently we're not going to create jobs. Although now, for those who are, have riverboats in their districts, the, it's all, in all likelihood they will be allowed, at least the, the versions of every possible version of this bill I've seen would allow them to move to land-based uh, operations. There, there's always a problem with the approach. And by the way, this isn't just a nonpartisan issue. It's probably an apartisan issue. It That's, would be even a better description. Much more but, yeah, yeah, very very issue, parochial. Yeah. But here's the thing about the gaming industry. Every establishment has to be successful where it's located. And you have to solve all their problems at once together. Because once you start solving it piecemeal, then you see sort of uh, intrastate cannibalization between establishments, and that becomes problematic. Then you ultimately can't solve anybody's problems because you can't put the political coalition together in order to do it. So we always have to be very careful. You have, you have to solve the, the, the Racino issue and the riverboat issue and sometimes the French Lick issue. You have to do it together. Uh, what, do you, what comes out of this, do you think? Uh, there are differences in the bills that your two caucuses have put yeah. forth related to the live dealers and some of the tax incentives and other things. Is, this, is, this, is there going to be some relief uh, well, look, on, upon which people can agree this I year? don't have a, a casino in my district, okay, but we all understand that this is an industry that's under assault from other states. We set up our system to kind of bring in dollars from people uh, on the other states, on the borders. That's where we're, lo we're located except for the two racinos. And French Lick, and you know it is uh, is a challenge. Illinois is going to come in with their own uh, casinos very soon. They're going to put one right on the border uh, on Lake County. Uh, it's a real threat, and we have to pay attention to that if we want these dollars, which are not unimportant, as we look for and scrap for dollars to make sure we put as much as we can in education. You know, this is a flow, a source of money that uh, that we can't ignore. I don't, the issue is expansion of gaming. We're trying to get our heads wrapped around what that is and define it properly so that uh, while we don't expand gaming, we also help these industries to succeed in a very difficult environment. All right. Unfortunately, the gavel is uh, about to fall on this uh, particular discussion. I will say this. Uh, people across the state certainly from time to time disagree uh, with your decisions and your policies, but I, I will be the first to say that folks in Indiana uh, should uh, appreciate and understand the sincere commitment you all have to public service in this state. Uh, I will vouch for that. Thank I thank you for that service and I thank you for uh, this conversation today. Again, my guests have been House Speaker Brian Bosma, an Indianapolis Republican, House Minority Leader Scott Pilath, a Michigan City Democrat, Senate President Pro Tem David Long, a Fort Wayne Republican, and Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannon, an Anderson Democrat. The 2015 General Assembly is history and it made history. We'll look back on the session with the reporters who covered it on the season finale of Indiana Lawmakers. Time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, so many conference committees to watch. Uh, we touched on a couple during the roundtable. What bill, what conference committee is going to be uh, the focus of your attention in the next few days? I'm real curious as to what's going to happen with the conference committee that's looking at the HIV situation in Scott County and the, the needle exchange. There's some real public policy issues at, at play there. There's some philosophical issues. You know, we've, we've seen Senator Pat Miller, um, a nurse by, by training, a retired nurse, who was pretty conservative, say that she's changed her mind on needle exchange programs because of the imperatives at, at issue here. And you've, you've got all kinds of, of differing viewpoints within the, the Senate Republican Caucus in particular on whether this should be a statewide program, whether there should be any kinds of, of treatment programs. 
as a, a kind of the, the first option before needle exchanges. And, and then you also have, have some of the, the members of, of that caucus who feel that there should be a little bit more local option on these things rather than expand it statewide from the top down. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out and to see where Indiana ends up um, in, in the national picture on that as, as Do we well. run the risk of being seen yet again as, as a state that's somehow wedded to, uh, you know, uh, leave it to beaver days? That, uh, that's certainly a, a risk. But I think that in the end what you're going to see is, is the public health professionals step up to the plate. You know, Senator Miller is a public health professional. Uh, Representative Tim Brown, who's the chair of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and the, what, the money man in the House, is a physician by training. The, the uh, Senate Republican fiscal leader, his brother's a doctor. I think that you're going to see that the public health professionals kind of carry the water on this one. Anything else uh, surprises that you, or I guess if you expect them, they're not a surprise. But inevitably, you know, the conference committee period is the time when something that's been pronounced dead, you know, weeks prior sometimes will resurface. Anything uh, uh, kind of nosing around of that nature? Or the opposite, where things that you thought were going through are, are suddenly going to die. And I think that we're, we're seeing that with, with one of the election reform bills um, that just didn't quite get the kind of traction that, that people thought it was going to have, even in conference. But I think that as, as time goes, goes on, you heard Senator Lannon talk about this, that the gaming bill becomes a little bit more puzzling. I think a lot of people thought that, that there was a compromise that could be reached. I think there still is a compromise that can be reached, and if there's not, there's still the opportunity to, to override a gubernatorial veto, but that's one that, that's going to be very important to the future of the state. So for that reason, we need to read Indiana Gaming Insight, your other publication, Absolutely. as well as Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, thanks as always for your insight. Much appreciated. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis. On behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week, take care. Purdue startup NeuroVigor, renewing hope for people with chronic diseases like MS and Parkinson's by targeting neurotoxins, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.